Today's reading is covering a large chunk of Exodus because John is speaking to us on five chapters, chapters 20 to 24. So the first reading is just an example of the commands that God gave um, to the people to obey. So it's Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 to 36. It's on page 79. So it's in two parts. First part, Exodus chapter 21, verse 28. If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death, and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or a woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. The law also applies if the bull gores son or a daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owners pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. And then on to chapter 24, verses 1 to 11. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement 
made of lapis lazulu, whatever, <laughs> as, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning. Good, excellent. Can you hear me? Excellent too. All right, um, Chris referenced um, rugby. I'm going to reference um, Super Bowl NFL. The book of Exodus is like the Super Bowl. It's in two halves. Okay, just for a bit of, there are other sports available. Um, I don't know if you're going to stay up. That's uh, between you and uh, your household. But uh, this morning I want to put uh, the passage into its context and then we'll look at it in a little bit more detail. So we're now, if you've been following the series with us, we're in the second half of Exodus. We're in the free to worship and we're actually finishing today a massive five chapter sort of introduction to this freedom to worship. And we're going to um, examine the... um, the law and events around the covenant confirmation. So we'll be looking at the book of the law and the altar around which the covenant, which is based on the book, was confirmed and sealed. Now, <clears throat> do you like mince pies? I'm missing them. Are you missing mince pies? All right. <laughs> I'm good. I'm in good company. Um, do you know about the mince pie law? Hands up if you know. There's only two or three of us in the house, as it were, that knows about this. Did you know there was a law passed saying you can't eat mince pies? Somebody's looking very upset. It was passed about 500 years ago. um, And unfortunately, it's not being observed by me either, I'm afraid. It's a law that um, has become obsolete, it's fallen into disuse, and it's only of historic interest to people like me. Um, Just one more law. Did you know the law about uh, no celebrations on the 25th of December? That was a law. I'll explain later. A couple of people know, excellent. Again, that's a law of almost 400 years of age. It's not observed, it's obsolete, and it's of only of historical interest to people like me. So today, we're about to look at some laws, and they are not 400, 500 years ago, made that time ago. They are 3,500 years old, okay? And they're in the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. They are in the Old Covenant. We have the New Covenant. Now, Chris very correctly said this morning in his always slot, the Ten Commandments are seen as major principles of God's will and his law that are to be kept. But what about all the other details that we have following the Ten Commandments in this part of the book of which Phil read just an extract to us this morning? Are they relevant can we, can we still live by them? Should we live by them? Or are they obsolete? Are they of historical interest? And only of interest to scholars who like to look at these things. Um, when I was preparing this um, sermon, I was thinking this could be seen as like one of those cards. You've played Monopoly, and you have, a, you have these chance cards or these community chess chart cards that says, um, please 
pass, go and collect £200. Some people might say these detailed laws we're about to look at are, you know, like that, that we should just pass over them and get on to the next section. But I think that's dangerous. I think we need to look at them. We need to understand them. We shouldn't just dismiss them. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. And the Apostle Paul said, all scripture is profitable. So I think just passing go is not the option. But we won't have time to look at all of them today. And that's why I've just chosen one to look at, one set of the laws to look at with you this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do pray that you will be with us. We thank you for your word, and we pray that we will handle it with truth and treat it as your word and handle it carefully this morning and use it in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, away with the mince pies. So is, is nothing that comes after the Ten Commandments in the law, these four chapters of laws that we've we've started to look at is nothing relevant or is everything relevant this is what we've got to decide before we do that we need to we need to put things into context this is the mosaic covenant we're looking at that includes the ten commandments and then the books of the law from 21 to the end of this section nine in fact it's 19 to 24 in total and i just want to put it into context for you one thing we need to remember, do you remember Jethro? First management consultant, goes to Moses, his son-in-law, and says, I think you need to run things differently. You need other men to help you work out disputes and deal with people and law. So they need to be able to do things that you, know, you could do, but you can't be everywhere. You need people to be there and be making decisions and the law that comes in this section is case law and can be used by these people so what we're looking at here is case law in this section that derives from the principles of the ten commandments and the people are going to appoint delegates to hear law it's also the covenant was announced in chapter 19 god said um, i've brought you out of egypt i've delivered you like on the eagle's wings, I now want you to be my people, I want you to be obedient to me, I want you to join in a covenant with me, and I will make you a, a priesthood, a holy nation, my blessed possession. So it's all part of an agreement God announces in chapter 19. And then I love a, I love a technical term, Decalogue, term for the Ten Commandments. It also saves space on the screen as well, which is useful. Um, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, have been outlined to us, and Chris is going through them um, over the next few weeks. So we know the Decalogue is the principles of God's law, and they're important, but what do we do with the rest is what we're looking at this morning. So, always good to define your terms. Chris has said this, and I'll repeat it. It is an agreement between two parties, and there are different agreements that can be made between two parties, binding agreements, but this, again, to be technical, is not an agreement between equals. This is an agreement between a superior and an inferior, if you will. It's an agreement between God and the people. The term is Caesarean and vassal covenant. A Caesarean was a mighty king who was over many kings, and he would sign agreements with these lesser kings, 
saying, if you obey my commands, I will protect you and I will bless you, but you must be obedient and loyal to me. This is the type of covenant that God is giving to the people of Israel. So, what do we do? If we look at uh, the culture, it's different from ours. And we know that we have the new covenant. We're in a different stage in redemption, in the history of redemption. Different culture, different stage in redemption. Now, I hope this shows. This is not the most brilliant of slides. This is from a really good book called Digging Deeper. And I find it quite useful, and it gives me an opportunity to use the pointer. Okay, this is, this is the whole of history. That's not bad, is it? Any historians here? All on one slide? Okay, so we, we know about the creation of the world. We know about the fall of humankind in Genesis. The book of Exodus is about here somewhere, isn't it? Okay, and this is where the Mosaic Covenant is, um, is set out. But we, we live on the other side. We have a post-cross perspective. We are living under the Christian Covenant, which is on the other side, uh, on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do we view the covenant here from a post-cross perspective? And that's what we've got to think about now. Okay. So different culture, different stage in the history of redemption and salvation, but things, cultures may have changed, the covenants may have changed, but some things don't change. God's eternal will and his attributes. And they find expression in the law of Moses in this part of Exodus from chapter 21 onwards. So God is unchanged. His attributes are not changed through time. Attributes are the things that are permanent and essential to his character as the Lord. And his will is unchanged. How he expresses his will has changed, but his will is unchanged. Now, I'm really looking forward to Max's talk. And uh, in preparing this, I, I thought of a, a piece of scripture that talks about the heavens and God's unchangingness. And I found this one in James, which I particularly love. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If you ask people what seems fairly permanent in the, in the created order, they probably say the stars, they seem to be there all the time, but, but are they? They're not always in the same place, are they? I hope Max is uh, going to approve this section. Uh, <laughs> they're not in the same place and they don't shine with the same intensity all the time. But God isn't like that. He created them. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He is still intense in his love for you and I. Nothing about his person has changed. His will is the same. And that's how we need to approach the books of the law in Exodus 21 to 23. So, okay, I chose um, very carefully because, look at this. Spec savers will be uh, expecting phone calls. This is um, your NIV lays it out very, very broadly, but uh, one of the great scholars of Exodus, Alex Motier, puts it in this order. This is intensely detailed. There is so much of life in this, this book, in this section from 21 through to 20, 
um, certainly the end of 22. So we can't cover all of this this morning, so I've just focused on one, one part of it, which I'll show you in a second. But think about this. If the Lord has given these rules to people, they are going to be distinctive. They're going to stand out from the cultures around them. They're going to be God's people. They will be seen to be incredibly different. People will say, you're not from around here, are you? You are so different. So we're going to be looking at... Um, the injuries to persons and animals, and only a small section of that together very briefly, just to look at God's law in this part of Exodus. So, the law of the goring bull. There are, in ancient um, legal codes, there are laws about this, not just amongst uh, the people of Israel, but others. But this is their law given to them by God and it will make them distinctive in the way that they deal with these things. So let's turn back to this section of the law in chapter 21, if you could open your Bibles again, and we'll have a, have a look at what it says. Okay. So it says in verse 28, if a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat is not to be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. It's an accident. But the bull must be dealt with. This seems like quite a long way from most of our daily lives. Would you agree? Yeah. Unfortunately, there are, there are accidents on farms and people have been killed by livestock and I don't want to make it appear a light thing, but most of us, this law seems to be miles from our daily life. But it's already expressing principles of God's will and his person. It's saying things have consequences, things must be addressed, there must be, um, in certain cases, there must be um, some retribution. In this case, it's on the bull. The bull has killed somebody, the bull must be removed. Okay. So, let's have another look at... um, this section. The next one. If, however, the bull is in the habit of goring um, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it pen and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and the owner also is to be put to death. So this time there should have been something done about this bull. It had a record of attacking people, goring people, hadn't maybe killed anyone, but the potential was seen, but the owner didn't act. So there's responsibility. There should be care to people. You should be aware of others around you. You must care for them, is the principle that's being put out there. And, however, um, it says, if you look further on, um, however, in verse 30, if, the payment is, if a payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. Okay, so again, there's alternatives. If the family would want payment rather than death, they can ask for that as well. So you've got principles here being, being used in daily life in this historical culture that expresses some of God's um, sort of attributes and also his will. So we've got restitution. People are being put right in the right position after the event. There is, if appropriate, there's retribution there's appropriate sentencing, there's also assessment of culpability and blame. 
So, what is it saying about God and his attributes? It's saying that we have a God of justice and of righteousness, of right action. We have a God of order and peace. This is, this is here to help people deal with the situation and not, things not to degenerate into chaos where people are attacking each other or demanding unreasonable things of each other in response to these events. It's a, it's a, a blessing given to them so that these things can be dealt with in an orderly way, in a peaceful way. And it's also showing God's love. He wants people to care for each other as well. And this is an expression of God's love. It is it's showing ethics and justice in the character of God. And it's also showing his will. This, reading through this, I think one of the strongest things that comes out is you should love your neighbour. You should love your neighbour. And this is the summary of the law, which Jesus gave to us, love God and love your neighbor. And again, we saw Chris um, showing that to us earlier in the service. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the will expressed in that law. So that's just one section of a massive part of the law of Moses that we've looked at, just to show us a way into it, not to ignore it, not to just push it to one side, but to look at it carefully and look f- to see God in, in the writing, see God's will, see God's person expressed in his law. So, what's the relevance to us? Where is our law? And what is God's will for his church? All big questions that I will only just make a start on. We haven't, um, as I say, got time to look at these in great detail. But the relevance of the law was to show us our sin, make us conscious of our sin and our need for a saviour. The need for the new covenant is the relevance. It shows us that. That makes it relevant to us. Although we live in a different historical culture and a different redemptive moment, the law of Moses um, is still still relevant to show us God's will, God's um, character. Okay, we may not be using stone or scrolls anymore. We have the book, the books of the Bible on paper, but we also have something with the new covenant. We have the law written on our hearts, and we have the Holy Spirit to help us live in a way that pleases God, to help us to be distinctive. God wants His church to be distinctive by living in a way that's different from those around us, that obeys his law. It's not living to win salvation, it's living as a response to our salvation in a way that shows the world we are God's people. And that's the relevance to us. Written on our hearts, and we are helped by the Holy Spirit to live in obedience to God. So, I've just gone through a large amount of Mosaic law. Are you relieved? Okay, we haven't finished yet. We're going back to narrative. We have to go back to narrative to finish this section of the law. And we look at the Mosaic Covenant and in particular the altar. Where the, co- the, the covenant is confirmed. Again, can I I'll encourage you to turn back to chapter 24, the first half. And we're back into narrative. We've come away from looking at law. The law said to Moses, come up you and Aaron, Nabab and Abihu and 70 of the elders. These are probably the people who are going to apply the law, the case law that we've been looking briefly at in the previous chapters. 
and you are to, they are to worship at a distance, but Moses, you are to approach. And then Moses, in chapter 24, verse 3, went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, and they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. They've said this earlier. They said it in chapter 19. They say it twice in chapter 24. Everything the Lord wants us to do, we will do. Okay, and the law is written down. We all know what happens later. I think we'll leave that there for another sermon. Um, but then an altar is built with 12 pillars, and burnt offerings and fellowship offerings are offered. The two offerings, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, are voluntary. They're given by the people as a sign of their worship to God, that they, um, they want to express their devotion. These are to express your devotion, your commitment, and your surrender to God's will. Okay? And in particular, the fellowship offering is normally um, leads on to a meal. We see a meal being given. So these are, these are voluntary acts by the people in response to saying we will, we will agree to God's covenant, we will be his people, and he will be, you know, we will be his people, he will be our God, and we'll look, he will bless us, and we will obey him. So this is, this is interesting, but there's one type of offering that is missing at this point. There's no sin offering. Okay. Again, we'll come back to that later in the story. So they, they say, we will, we will agree to the covenant, we confirm the covenant, and the covenant is sealed in blood to show the seriousness of this agreement. Blood indicates something incredibly serious here about the commitment of both sides to this covenant. So blood is used on the altar, if you like, to represent God, and blood is put on the people as well to say, this is serious, we're, we're really... You know, we don't, we don't take this lightly, we take this incredibly seriously. This is a life thing, this is a life and death thing that we've agreed to. And then, the covenant is sealed. The sealed in blood. And it's about then to be celebrated. And this is a really strange thing. In chapter 19, which Mark gave to us, lots of warnings about going up and down the mountain and people staying off the mountain and not going anywhere near God, or they will be, God could run loose and they could be destroyed. And yet now they're going up the mountain. How can this be? What's changed? And also, what does it say later in the Bible about people seeing the face of God? People have said, well, what's going on here? Um, I'm not sure. A moment ago, you couldn't go near God. Now you can go near God. Are you seeing God? I'm not sure they are. They, they're in a situation very similar to one I found myself in, in a slightly different context. I was, um, I was driving down from Silly Isles roundabouts towards Hampton Court, you know the road? And suddenly I saw some flashing lights on motorbikes and I saw a couple of very dark limousines with, with windows, blacked out windows. And I saw a long limo behind that and then another van behind that and then more motorcycle riders with lights flashing. What was all that about? Who was in that car? It was the Queen. It was the Queen. But I only saw her momentarily. I saw somebody in a blue sort of coat and a blue hat whiz past me. But I knew, I knew it was the Queen. Nobody else would uh, dress that way or have that amount of outriders. But I didn't really see her properly. I only saw her very briefly. 
Interestingly, my father-in-law um, worked for the civil service for a very long time, and he actually got to go to the palace, and he got to meet the Queen face to face. So it was a very different experience that he had to the one I had. He just saw a blue streak go past, but I did see the Queen. And we have, we have a blue road here, don't we? Lapis Lazuli, beautiful coloured roads. That's all the people see. So they didn't see God fully. They only saw a glimpse or a part or the edge of him. So God is not being inconsistent. So the covenant is confirmed, it is sealed in blood, and it's celebrated by a meal. In this case, the Moses and his delegates, the elders, go to eat in God's presence. Again, what is the relevance of this? Where is the altar? How is the new covenant accepted, sealed, and celebrated? We have a new covenant we're told about. Um, I remember my confirmation. We have a confirmation process in the Church of England, and it was very important to me um, coming to faith because it wasn't confirming anything when I was offered the course, but it did make me think, and then at the end of the course, I confirmed. I made a decision and came to Christ, and I confirmed it at the confirmation service. Before the confirmation service, um, the minister who led the course, Tim Watson, took us all into the church to prepare us for the uh, bishop's arrival. He said, this is where you're going to sit, stand, kneel. You're going to hold these cards. Um, by the way, what's the name of that table that we're standing around? And what do we all say? No, we didn't. <laughs> we should have done. We said, I was only 14 at the time. I said, it's an altar. He said, what? We don't have altars. The age of um, sacrifice is gone. Christ has given the once for all perfect sacrifice. This is the communion table. This is not an altar. And that obviously has stayed with me ever since. So, through wanting um, to be confirmed, I was saying that I had a relationship with, with Jesus, I stood in a new relationship with, with God, and I was made clean through Christ's blood. Blood, again, we have the blood of the new covenant, it's not the ones on the altar and on the people, it's the blood of the new covenant represented at the communion's sort of um, meal. It's not, it's not Christ's blood as such, it's a representation of Christ's blood, and we have the blood of Christ now, and we are accepted, and we're sealed with that, and we celebrate it in the communion meal. Looking forward to the eternal meal at the end of time. So we've covered a great deal of material. We've covered law, We've covered a bit of narrative. We've been given a glimpse of the future. And this is here to help us to know how to use God's word, not to just say, well, it's not relevant at all anymore. It is. It should be looked at. It should be studied. It should be looked for God's will. Certainly these parts of the law should be looked at to try and see God's will and God's person in the law and how they can work with us. The Ten Commandments we obviously see as principles that cannot be changed. They are there for all time. So let's take these thoughts into the week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the new covenant. We thank you that it is uh, the covenant through Jesus Christ, that through him we are, we are brought into relationship with you and we can obey you. Help us to want to obey your, your will through your word and through the law written in our hearts and the guide of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we be obedient to you. May we be people 
who are clearly yours and show your love to the world around us and show your message of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.